Good morning. I'm also really excited, just like Barry, just like Lee, it's really exciting for me to stand here and look out at my church family and just know that God is with us and working through us. And, and I have a problem this morning. I really do. We have started a series called Winsome, and, and we've been so excited about it that it has created some issues in our lives as preachers. And if you were here last week, you would have known that Jacques talked about the fact that he was having stress dreams about preaching last week. And, and when he did that, he stole my intro. <laughs> because, because I'm also having stress dreams. I, I, I dreamt the other night um, that, that I'd arrived to preach and I couldn't find my sermon, and, and I was walking all over looking for it, and, and, and worship was happening, and then I eventually found it, and I came to sit down over there, and, and worship was carrying on, and then I desperately needed to go to the loo, and so I got up and went out, and when I came back, everybody was gone. <laughs> and, and it's just... And I think it's all because we are so passionate about this winsome series, because this winsome series for us is about something that we as a church and every church must do if that church is to, to hope to have an ongoing existence. We have to be a church and a people and, and God's children that invite and, in, and bring other people to know who Jesus is. And it's not just for one or two of us to do it. It's about all of us winning people to Jesus Christ. And for us, it's not really about numbers. It's not really about evangelism even or about converts. It's about meeting the most basic of all human needs. The most basic what Jacques called the irreducible minimum, that every single human being needs Jesus. They need all sorts of other things. They need all sorts of other things. But at every human being's core is that they need Jesus. And unless we who know and love Jesus are convinced that that is the most basic need of all human beings, unless we know and let God convince us that that is the irreducible minimum, we risk just sitting back and saying, well, let me just get through my life. I've got a great church. It's, I mean, like it's full and, and the worship is fantastic and, and the kids' ministry is awesome and it's okay because I'm okay. But we are convinced that the world is not okay and that we need to share with them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is that's a high bar, folks. That's a high bar. And it scares me a little bit that we even just go there. But I want, I want to ask you a question. Let me do a quick survey. Who of you and, and please don't feel bad if that doesn't apply to you. It's not like that. Who of you that are sitting here call this church your spiritual home? Just quickly, just quickly put up your hands. Let me just see. Okay, cool, that's great. 
of those people, who of you arrived at this church from another church? Who of you arrived here knowing Jesus before you got here? Put up your hands. Thank you. Who of you didn't have a church background? Who of you didn't know Jesus? And who of you have arrived at this church and since you've been here, you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I I, I want you guys to put your hands up high. Thank you. Thank you. You see? That's kind of the sermon, isn't it? Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even for one minute saying all of that to scold anybody because I'm the boss and the buck stops with me, apparently. But I'm, I'm not doing that. But do you see? Do you see how easy it is for us as God's people to slip into a mindset that people will arrive here that already know Jesus? And, and that we can. And it is a way of growing a church. It really is but it's not a way of growing the kingdom of God. It's not a way of growing the kingdom of God. We need to be like the Apostle Paul, who who, who said this about his irreducible minimum. Though I am free and belong to no one, 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible, win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, that I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, that I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. He's saying, I I get out there and I do whatever I need to do in whatever place I am. Whether I'm with this group of people or that group of people, I I don't spend all my time hanging around God's people. I get out there. Why? So that I can win some. To the weak, I became weak to to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Why do I do this? I do this for the sake of the gospel. Because every human being's irreducible minimum is this. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. That's why Paul says, whatever I have to do for the sake of the gospel, I'm going to do it because human beings desperately need Jesus. It is the irreducible minimum. How? And the rest of the series, the next few weeks is about how are we as home ground, how are we going to begin to do this? Because it's not something God has asked me to do, or you, or you, It is something God wants all of us to do together. And so we must find a way of doing it. And and so we introduced you last week to the idea of invest and invite. 
The idea of investing and inviting. You know, there are a lot of ways to evangelize people, and, and I know some of us have already got those, you know, handing out tracts, going door to door, standing on a soapbox and preaching, and, and, and all of those things, if God brings you to do that, that is fantastic, you should do it. But what are we going to do as God's people here together? We are going to invest and invite because we believe that God wants people to know him. And so we're gonna say to you, invest in the lives of other people, especially those people around you who don't know Jesus, your neighbors, your colleagues, friends at school, parents of kids at school, invest in their lives, show them who Jesus is, talk to them about who Jesus is, and then invite them. Invite them to Sunday services during the course of the year. We're gonna have special Sunday services where we're gonna warn you in advance and say that's the service you need to bring your friends to. You can bring them to all the others, by the way, that's fine. But those services are gonna be where we specifically explain the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to people. We're gonna ask you to invite them to things like Alpha. Alpha starts in, I think, five weeks' time. And we are super excited about Alpha. We're gonna invest a lot in Alpha. And so if if you already know what Alpha is and and you'd like to have people invited there or you want to serve in Alpha, then go and, and give your name in at the info desk afterwards. Just say, this is me, I wanna be involved with Alpha. Over the next weeks, we're gonna give you lots of opportunities. They're gonna be special events. Invite them to the pool night. Invite, invest and invite. Invite them into your homes and your conversations. I wanna confess that asking you to do this can be hard. And it's gonna be a bit weird. Pastor, I don't even know how to start a conversation about Jesus. It's just like so awkward. So awkward, I don't know how. Pastor, you know, in my youth they made me go down to the beach and play very bad guitar for those services and it scarred me for life. I can't. Well, we wanna go further than that. We wanna be able to give you tools that, that, that you can have and use. And this morning I wanna give you those two great tools that every single one of us have in order to invest properly. The tools that every single one of us have in order to invest properly. They are amazing. And they're amazing because every single one of us have them, and every single one of us can use them wherever we are, whenever we are. And the first tool is this. It is the fact that you have an irrefutable argument. You as a follower of Jesus Christ, have an irrefutable argument. I know you don't think you have, because the last time somebody asked you about some weird thing in the Bible, you didn't know what to say. You said, I'll ask my pastor about it. You know, why is there suffering in the world? If God is good, why do so many bad things happen? What about dinosaurs? You know, what's gonna happen at the end? How did creation work? You don't know. And some of those questions, I don't know either. But I wanna tell you, you have an irrefutable argument. An irrefutable argument works like this. 
Here's an irrefutable argument I have about something. Not Jesus, about something else. It's about coffee. <laughs> I love coffee. I love coffee. Does anybody want to argue with me about that? Now, you can tell me that coffee's got too much caffeine in it, that it's bad for me, that the best coffee is available at that shop, that some coffee producers exploit people and you shouldn't have coffee, that coffee cups, takeaway cups, are bad for the environment. Oh, you can argue with me about all that stuff, and, and you can even argue with me about the technicalities of coffee. I think I know more about it than any of you. I really do, I'm just saying. But you could still argue with me, and you may still be right, but you cannot argue with me about the fact that I love coffee. It's an irrefutable argument. Paul himself, the great apostle, a guy who wrote much of the New Testament, who debated with people all the time, tells us he also, even though he was much cleverer than I am theologically could ever be. He has an irrefutable argument. And it's the story of what God did in his life. That God completely changed who he was. Listen to how he explains it to Timothy, a young guy who's one of his disciples. He says it like this, in. 1 Timothy 1, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Yeah, guys, you, you, you've heard about who I used to be. I was once like that man. I killed people. I, I was passionate. I was very religious. So I looked great on the outside. I wasn't one of those people that everyone, Ugh. except if you were a Christian. Then when you saw me, you ran. But I was very religious. I looked so good. But you understand, I was violent. I was a blasphemer. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. Guys, nobody can argue against that, because it's what happened to me. It's an irrefutable argument Paul places in front of young Timothy here. Timothy, you saw what I used to be, and now you know who I am. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You see, he wasn't acting here. He wasn't trying to pretend, you know, just to make a good sermon illustration. He knew in his heart, even though he'd been a religious man all his life, he had committed the worst sins. He had blasphemed against God. He'd murdered people. And now Jesus had changed everything. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, whom I am the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, 
Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul has an irrefutable argument. He wants, to, he wants people to know it. He wants people to know it. I, Timothy, I've had an, a supernatural encounter with God and it has changed everything about me and I now love God more than all that other stuff. We are afraid because people have questions. We don't want to talk because we none, you know, they may come up with that weird philosophical thing and we don't know, but we have this story, a story of once I was lost, but now I'm found. There's such a great illustration in the book of John, chapter nine, where it's not some famous preacher. It's not Paul. It's a simple, simple man, and he's been born blind, and, and it starts with a theological question. His disciples come to Jesus and say, that oak over there, was he born blind because of his own sin or because of his parents' sin? It's a theological question. Jesus says, wow, no, no, that's not the point of that guy over there. That's, that's a weird question. And then Jesus goes over and he heals the man, but he heals him on the Sabbath, which is against the law. And so now this healing gets this big controversy going because the Pharisees are angry because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And so they go and grab this guy's parents and they say, you, you, you know, what's going on? Who do you think this is? And, and this guy, this Jesus guy, he's not a good man, he's an evil man. And, and, and so it ends up with this unwinnable theological debate. Ever had one of those? <laughs> unwinnable theological debate. Eventually, they go to this oak and they start accusing him of being bad. They say, come on, now just admit that this Jesus is a bad person. They, they literally tell him, if you just admit that, we won't gonna, we're not going to harass you for not being blind anymore. It got to that level, literally. Go and read the story. And the man looks at them and he says, whether he is a sinner or not, he's talking about Jesus, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You see, he, he, he doesn't even know Jesus properly yet. <laughs> but he, can, has an irre, he has an irrefutable argument. And I don't know all the theological questions, but I know that Jesus changed my life. Folks, I know none of us know all the arguments, but we all know this that Jesus has changed our lives forever. We haven't become perfect, but we've become filled with Jesus Christ, and he has changed our lives forever. The first tool that you have in, in this investment in people is the irrefutable argument that Jesus loves you and you love him, and that changes everything. But there's a second beautiful tool and it's, it's this, you have an irresistible attraction. You have an irresistible attraction. Now this is not that superficial thing about you know, that song that says, I know you think this song is about you. It's not that, it's not that kind of vain thing. And I know that most of us believe we haven't, but we have. Have you ever noticed how everybody was attracted to Jesus? 
everybody was attracted to Jesus, some in very positive ways, but some in very negative ways. Some were attracted to him because they loved him, and some were attracted to him because they hated him, but everybody was attracted to him. He lived that kind of life that people had to come up with something. They couldn't ignore his life. And the truth is, our life in Jesus Christ, this new life that we have been given as followers of Jesus, should be a life of irresistible attraction. When last did somebody ask you a profound question about your life? Somebody asked you the kind of question, why are you so kind? Why are you so patient? Why are you so loving? Why are you so full of joy? Why do you have peace in your heart? Have you ever, if you're sharp, you picked up what I just did there. I started talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. When last did somebody ask you as a businessman why you aren't prepared to do something on the side? When last did somebody ask you a question about why your life is a certain way? Because your life is irresistible. You do have that life because Jesus is in you. But I really believe that, that, that there's some aspects that Jesus wants to bring out in all of us that are available to all of us that will make our lives irresistible. And the first one is that we will live an extravagant life. That we will live an extravagant life. Now, I don't mean what some preachers mean when they say that, that because you're a Christian, you're gonna have a big house and the best job and a nice car and a beautiful, that's not what I mean. But have you ever seen how extravagant Jesus is about his life here on earth? He was a poor man, but he was extravagant. He always had something to give away. And God is calling us as his followers to be extravagant like Jesus, to always have something to give away. We live in a absolutely stingy world. Have you ever noticed how everybody wants to be extravagant about themselves and they're not so extravagant about everybody else? Everybody wants to take themselves to the oyster box and give the beggar the half loaf of bread that's a bit tired in the cupboard. Here's one of the things Jesus says about what an extravagant life looks like. Matthew chapter five, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to do, get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for your shirt, the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. He doesn't say that you should do that if you lose or if you win. If the other Oaks, whether he wins the court cases against you or loses it, you know what you should do anyway? You should just give him a present afterwards. And if someone takes unfair, unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live 
generously. We have a saying for it, it's called going the second mile. It's a phrase we all use. You know that comes out of the Bible? You know that it comes out of that passage. That passage in other translations says if someone asks you to walk with them one mile, makes you carry their pack one mile, take it two. You see, that's what extravagant looks like. It doesn't mean I give lots of my money away if I don't have money. It just means that I give more than I take in every situation. I give more than I take in every situation of life, just like Jesus did. If you begin to live extravagantly, people will ask questions. On Friday, I I went to the funeral of the most generous human being I have ever met in my life. Uh, And I'm not exaggerating, I'm not making that up. He was a very wealthy man and he gave away millions and millions, mostly to church projects, and I know that because I often was someone who helped him identify those projects. But I discovered at his funeral that I didn't even know a tenth of it. That here's the person I know that is the most generous of any human being, and, and, and I was wrong. He was more than that. Live extravagant lives. Your irresistible life mustn't just be extravagant, it must be a secure life. We must live secure. We live in such an insecure world. Ooh, I wonder if I should wear that today. I can't be seen driving around in that car. Oh, I wish I could afford a house in that neighborhood. Oh, I wonder what my boss is going to think of me. I wonder what my teacher is going to think of me. I wonder what my parents are going to think of me. And, and we're so consumed with ourselves that we don't actually see people around us. We just miss the people around us because we, we're so insecure. We are so self-conscious. Am I dressed right? Will that car make me happy? Will, will, will. And we're all just trying to compensate, aren't we? We're all trying to compensate Paul says this is what a secure life looks like. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I don't need those clothes to make me feel secure. I don't need that education to make me feel better. I don't need that car to make me stand out. I don't need that job to make me feel better about myself. God loves me and there is nothing that can ever take that away. That is security. That is security. When last did somebody ask you, how come you don't try to impress people? When I asked somebody ask you, why do you notice other people and all the time? Because if you're secure, that's what'll happen. The third ingredient of, a, of an irresistible life is that we will live faithful. We live in a fickle world. It's a bit of a Durban disease. I tell you, when we plan church stuff, we're like, oh, who's playing there? Who's doing that? And, and, and you know, it's not just a church thing. It's a Durban thing. You, I'm definitely coming to your house for burgers on Friday. Definitely, bro. And then a half past four on Friday, oh, so I'm, oh sorry, I'm, I can't make it. 
because that band's in town or that. We live in an unfaithful world. Not just the Durban is like that, our whole world is like that. We don't finish things. We don't stick things out. People give up when it's too hard. And I don't mean you have to stay when, when you should go, but people give up. And sometimes when our boss is an absolute pain and we want a new job and, and God isn't providing it for us, it, to be faithful, it means we stay there until he provides a new job and we stay there with a good attitude. We stay there because we're not now there for them or for us, we are there for Jesus and Jesus is faithful. Jesus did not die on the cross because it was enjoyable. God, Jesus didn't even hang there because it was good and it was right. Jesus stayed there because he was faithful. John 19, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head. Faithful lives are irresistibly attractive. When last did somebody ask you, why don't you give up? Why don't you give up on your marriage? Why don't you give up on your kids? Why don't you give up on your parents? Why don't you give up on your school? Why don't you give up on your job? Why don't you give up on your church? I can see that they're causing you grief. Why don't you give up? Because I have Jesus in me. And Jesus has called me to be faithful. The last piece of an irresistible life is we need to live confident. We need to live confident. Hey, we live in a shaky world. It's calm. American elections, the economy, crime, the coronavirus. We live in that kind of world. It is a shaky world. And so we store up for ourselves large sums of money, we buy masks, we don't travel, we do all sorts of things because something bad may happen to me. In 1 Peter chapter three, the apostle Peter says this, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have but do this with gentleness and respect. When last somebody asked you, why aren't you panicking? This ESCOM thing is bad. The economy is bad, our country is bad, the world is bad, the coronavirus is bad. Why aren't you panicking? Well, because Jesus. It doesn't mean we ignore the problems, but we know that if, if ESCOM fails, if the economy goes bad, if coronavirus wipes out half the population, Jesus, Jesus is still there and he still loves me. Folks, the irreducible minimum is this, people need Jesus. Every single human being who was ever born needs Jesus. And everybody has to find Jesus through somebody's story. And it could be yours. It could be yours. 
That in that moment when they ask the question, because you've invested in them, because you've loved them, because you've been their friend and you've cared for them, in that moment, they ask you the question and all of a sudden, the lights go on. You have an irrefutable argument and you have an irresistible life. You really do. Ask Jesus to show it to you and begin to invest in people. Lost people, people who don't know Jesus. And then begin to invite them. There's a ton of stuff we do here that you can invite them to. You can invite them into your home, you can invite them to Alpha. And we can win some. When you walk out these doors, you'll see a big sign, big lit sign up on the back wall and it says alive. And already there are light bulbs that we've put in since we started this series for people who since the beginning of the year have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. And so every time we bring somebody this year into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're gonna go to that board, we're gonna put in a light, and we're gonna celebrate together. We hadn't planned to do it last week, We said, no, no, we're gonna tell our church about it first, but last week the Spirit moved in our service and we made an invitation in the second and in the evening service and we put 19 new bulbs in, yeah, yeah. We put 19 new bulbs in there. And so folks, we have an irresistible life. You have an irrefutable argument invest and invite and people's lives will change forever because they have an irreducible minimum. People need Jesus. Let's stand and pray together. I'm gonna pray a benediction and then I'm going to invite you to go out and invest and invite. If you'd like somebody to pray for you, there's a team of folk in the chapel, we'll open that door, about anything, it's not necessarily about this, but about anything, they'd love to pray with you. But now, I wanna say this, may the spirit of Christ empower you, empower us, to love and serve our neighbors, as we invite them into our hearts and our homes, our lives and our schedules, May they come to understand through being loved by us that they are loved by God and can love him in return. We are more ready to do this than we realize. Go now in the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said,